we are a non-denominational church. It's not that we're opposed to denominations because that's not it. It's just that it seems like in denominationals they denominations they have such a doctrinal difference that it actually separates the body of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted him as your savior, that means you're part of the family of God. It doesn't make any difference what label that you have. It, you are part of the family of God. And we believe, of course, that God has called us to do two things, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our might, and then he's called us to love our neighbor. And love supersedes any doctrinal differences that one would have in the body of Christ. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to teach the exchange life in Christ. Uh, so my message this morning is, of course, on the exchange life in Christ. What does it mean? What is it? And for, in order for you and I to understand the exchange life in Christ, we need to go back to the very beginning. And we're going to find out here in 1 Corinthians 15.45, it says, And so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. When you read the book of Genesis, you find out that God created everything in six days. At the end of the sixth day, he created man. And the Bible says that he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then it says the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, we know the first Adam, he was created. He did not have a propensity towards sin, a leaning towards sin. You and I, who have been born, have, been, have had a propensity to sin. We have a leaning towards sin. We sin before we really know what sin is all about. And Christ was born of a virgin, and that is the miracle upon all miracles. And Christ did not have the propensity to sin. And so he's called the second Adam. And the Bible says here that the last Adam, which would be Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Now, this is important that we understand this. Jesus Christ came, and he came as life to give us his spirit. Adam was created perfect, not only physically, but also spiritually. He was created spiritually alive. And the spiritual life he possessed was the very life of God. So he had God in him. The life was imparted to him from God. And the Holy Spirit dwelt in Adam before he sinned. Now, everything he does, he does as an expression of the God who made him, who lives inside of him. And lives, expresses himself through him. Everything was perfect until Satan came into the picture. Some of us wonder, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the Garden of Eden? 
Um, and so we, we, we think about that. And, but then in Psalms, in Psalms 8, verse 6, it says here, You make him to rule over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet. So what happened in the Garden of Eden, God created everything, and then after he got done creating it, he said to Adam and Eve, it's all yours. Everything has been done for you. Everything is complete. Creation is complete, and you are complete. You have God living in you. You are complete. And so we're told that God made man to rule over the creation, to take care of it, but it was at this point that God had to, he recognized, he had to have Adam recognize the limit of his authority. Why? Because before Adam was even born, there was war in heaven. And the Bible tells us that a third of the angels, Satan caused a third of the angels to fall with him. So given the moral choice it's given to all men. We have that choice. Given that, he had to have something to exercise that choice. And so Adam could now confirm that if he stayed away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it would be not only pleasing to God, but it would be demonstrating how much he loved God, for God was the one who created him. Now, God told Adam not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, the Bible says, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the days that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, we know that just because Adam disobeyed God, that God wasn't going to kill him. But he was going to die spiritually. Satan succeeded in persuading Adam that even if he lost God's favor, that nothing would happen. Everything would be a win-win situation. And so in Genesis 3:5, the Bible says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is Satan's temptation. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It wasn't that Adam was unhappy with God, that he was dissatisfied, that he was angry at God at all. No, he loved God. But here, Satan brought into a lie that he was not who God said he was. And believe it or not, that is the same problem that we have today. You see, he was already like God. The devil said to him, when your eyes are open, you will be like God. Well, he was created in the likeness of God. He was already like God. Knowing good from evil. He had the Holy Spirit living in him. It was no problem for him to know good and evil, just as it is no problem for us to know good and evil. But here's the problem. It's all about believing what God says is true. It's about believing what God says is true about you. 
It's a believing about what God says is true about him. He said, don't eat of the, of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you're going to die. And what happened when he did? He forfeited the very presence of God, and he died spiritually. Here's what happened. The Holy Spirit withdrew from Adam. Now, keep in mind that we're all created, we're all born with a spiritual being. And here, because of sin, that spiritual life, God withdrew from him. And the life went out, the lights went out, and he fell into darkness. Now, uninhabited by God, and ever since Adam fell, every child born in this world has been born in the pattern of fallen man. Now, our belief system is going to be challenged here. For the next five weeks, we're going to go through this entire, in its entirety, the exchange life in Christ. Some Christians view our life as a behavior modification program. Show me what I'm supposed to do. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the first thing I said, just tell me what to do. Just Show me what the Ten Commandments are. Show me whatever I have to do, and I will do it. I will try to do it. I'll try my very best to do it. But what's wrong with that? Somehow, we have in the back of our minds that if we do our part, God will do his part. Now, there's something wrong with that. Because now, we become the initiator. And God, we expect to be the responder. And that's one of the problems with the get rich, wealth, prosperity gospel that we hear today. If you do your part, then God will do his. If you give such and such, God will give you a hundredfold. If you do this, God will do this. And this is not the way it works. This is not the way it works. God does it all. Now, it sounds good. It sounds good. Okay, I'll do my part. God will do his. But it's not right. It's almost like we're hearing the same temptation that Satan brought to Adam. He says that you will know, if you take this, if you do this, you will know good from evil. And I'm sure that Adam, who loved God, he thought to himself, well, this, is, this, is, this would be good. This would be a good thing. Because now, I, if, if I know good and evil, then I know that I'll always do good. I know that I'll always do good. Adam bought in to that deception. He bought into a lie. Because when you have the absence of the Holy Spirit guiding us, instructing us, counseling us, we set ourselves up for the same thing that Adam did. He bought into that lie and we buy into it. 
In 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says this, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So the Lord Jesus Christ came to straighten us out. We find that in the fallen condition, man is, is not just an animal. The difference between man and animal is our spirit. That's the only really difference. And then we find out that the human spirit makes it possible because we have that human spirit. It makes us possible to step back, look at life, see that it's not working, and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And we, no matter how far we have fallen, no matter what degenerate state that we are in, we can find Christ and he, be, he can become our life. The first man, Adam, was from earth. The second man, the second Adam, was Jesus Christ. He came from heaven. The first one got us into this mess. The second one gets us out of it. God created Adam in the likeness of God. The Bible says that Adam was 130 years old, and he begot a son, Seth. And the Bible says that he was begotten in his, in his image, in Adam's image. The Lord Jesus Christ gave, came to give us life. But when we are in Adam, there are three things that happens. We are alienated from the life of God. And in Adam, we walk after the flesh. In Adam, you will die in your sin. If nothing happens between your physical birth and your physical death, you will die in the condition in which you were born. And that is, you will be spiritually dead. The good news of the gospel is you and I can come to the place that we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and we find salvation and everlasting life. So now we're coming to the understanding of the exchange life in Christ. What really happens when you're born again? We know that just from what we understand and read, we know that Christ comes into our life. We know that we are now out of the lifeline of Adam and we have been transferred into the lifeline of Christ. We know that, but do we believe that? We say that we are confident that we are a child of God. I venture to say if I had every Christian in front, front royal here and I asked them, are you a child of God? They would all say, yes, amen, I'm a child of God. Well, do you believe it? Is it something that you read in the scripture? Is it something that you were told? Or do you actually believe you're a child of God? Because here's something. If you're actually a child of God, you will start acting like a child of God. If you actually believe it. So, we have been transferred 
from Adam into Christ. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So here's the situation. Everyone is somewhere. You are either in Christ or you are in Adam. Everyone is somewhere, either in Christ or in Adam. The miracle of regeneration is a concept that existed for thousands of years, but only was understood when it came to the book of Acts. There was a prophet, Ezekiel, and he had a vision. God gave him a vision. Ezekiel 36, 26, and this is what God told him. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is the exchange life in Christ. When an individual opens their life up to Christ, and they say, Lord, we want, I want you to come into my life, a surgery takes place. God opens us up, and he takes out that heart of stone and replaces it with his heart. Then the Bible says that he gives you a new spirit. Now, in the translation of the scripture, you'll know that the spirit is a lowercase s, indicating that it is your human spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit living in you. It's your human spirit. So your human spirit is changed. Now it is exchanged for the human spirit, for the life of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Now, if every Christian would only understand that he, when he was born again, that he received the Holy Spirit in its completeness. The issue is whether we really believe God or not. Do we really believe that he performed that surgery, took out that heart of stone, and gave us a new heart? Now, I have to tell you, I have never met a born-again Christian who didn't have a new heart. I've never met one. God has given every born-again Christian a new heart. Now, when they don't understand it, when they don't realize it, they don't always act that way. And even us who know it and understand it, we don't always act that way, and I'll get into that in just a moment. But here is the exchange. Now, in Colossians in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Now, we have it. Christ gave it. Do we believe it? God's point of view is when he looks down on humanity, it isn't that the sinners just need to be forgiven. That's not the only issue. He sees a world of dead people, dead spiritually, because the Bible says that we were born 
dead spiritually. And that's what he sees. He sees a world of dead people who need life. And Christ is the life. So when we accept Christ, what of Christ did we receive? Well, we received a new heart. We received a new spirit. But what else did we receive? In Galatians 2.20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now the Bible says that I do this by faith. In other words, faith and belief comes from the same word. I I do this because I believe it. I accept it by faith that the Son of God actually lives inside of me through the Holy Spirit. And so it's really clear that we are brand new when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The ultimate result is believing in the gospel, accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the, the absolute ultimate result is that we have Christ living in us, we have the gift of righteousness, and we have the gift of eternal life. If it is a gift, there is no way that we can possibly earn it by being good or anything else. We cannot do it. By keeping the commandments, we cannot do it. It is a gift from God because we accepted him as our personal Savior. Because Christ is eternal, then we are eternal. A lot of people think that, well, when I die, that I'll get eternal life. No, when you accepted Jesus Christ, that's when you got your eternal life. You're living that eternal life down here on earth. Now, not that this living this eternal life here on earth is good. It's not. But we're promised that one day he's going to come and take us home. And we'll continue on with our eternal life, but in a much better place. So there are are two roads to the Christian life, two roads only. One leads to the path of good intentions. And most everybody has good intentions. But they find out that when the world comes at them, Good intentions are not working. And so there's a lot of people out here with broken hearts, a lot of people that are being robbed of any hope that they have. They're trying to please God. You know, they do it through self-effort, man-made religion. They just want to please God somehow. But no one, no one matures in bitterness. No one gets free in isolation. And no one heals rehashing the testimonies of bad religion. Sometimes I think that's our problem, religion. A good friend of mine who who preaches down in Texas, he said that he he named his church and then underneath he, he put the church without religion. And I sort of like that a church without religion. Most of us 
Our issues are a lack of understanding of our spiritual identity in Christ and our acceptance. And so there's, a, there's many divisions within the Christian church. There's 70% of the Christians that believe that you can accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and because of your performance, you can be lost. The 30% say, no, you can't. You can never lose your salvation. And so there's some issues with understanding what really takes place when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I want you to think about it for just a moment. The Bible says you must be born again. You must be to enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right, so we say yes to God. We ask God to come into our life, and now we are born again. So there soon becomes a problem, and that is the sin issue. Here we are, a born-again believer, and we still sin. And then it gets really confusing sometimes because we don't understand it. I certainly didn't when I was born again. I was sitting in church. I was trying to listen to the pastor. And all of a sudden, all these bad thoughts were coming through my head. And I couldn't understand it. And I left that church wondering whether I was really born again or not. I thought to myself, if I was born again, I wouldn't think these bad thoughts. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong up here. And then, of course, I found out that I wasn't the only one that thought that. Even the Apostle Paul thought that. The Bible says here in John, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Remember, there's only two people. Two people one in Adam and the other in Christ. And so the Bible says, if you don't have Christ, you don't have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So if I asked you, do you have eternal life? Your natural reaction would be, well, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I don't always do what I should do. I know that. So, but I think, yes, yes, I, I think I have eternal life. Well, then I would ask, do you believe that you're going to lose it? And you would say, well, I suppose uh, it's possible if, if I just disregarded everything that God said. So now we're missing that link again. If you are born again, what did God do? He opened you up. He took out that heart of stone. He gave you his heart. Because he gave you his heart, you really don't want to sin. You do, but you don't want to because you have a new heart. Now, these two roads that we go down, one, the road of good intention, and the other one here is believing what God says is true. So if you believe it, you'll find the experience will begin to change your life. But notice what Paul here said. He said the same thing that I was thinking. 
For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am not practicing, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And then in verse 20 he says, But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it. But sin that dwells in me. So here's what happens. You accept Christ as your personal Savior. He says to you that he's accepted you and now you are born again. You are born again, but then you still sin. And you've, you find yourself in the same situation that Paul was in. I do not understand it. And then he says, but wait a minute, it's not me. It's the sin that dwells within me. Your heart is pure, and it'll always be pure. There's nothing wrong with your heart. And that's why Jesus said that when I come back, I'm going to give you a new body because sin dwells in the body. I'm going to give you a new body so that your already perfect heart will match your new body and you won't have any propensity, you won't have any desire, you won't have any motivation to sin any longer. Now, here's the truth. In Romans 6.11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, you are to consider yourself dead to sin. So here's what happens a lot of times. The temptation comes, and when temptation comes, you, you are reminded who you are in Christ, and you say, I'm dead to that. I am dead to that, and I am alive to Christ Jesus. This is our Force of combat, you might say, in life itself. Life comes at us, and the Bible says that we are to renew our minds. We are to think about who we are, that we are alive in Christ, and we are dead to sin. And then the Bible says this in 2 Peter 1.4, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, it's one thing to read the scripture, and sometimes we need to reread it and reread it and reread it, because here the Bible says that when Christ opened you up, gave you that new heart, he says here that you have become a partaker of his divine nature. So when we sin, we are going against our nature. It's not who we really are. Paul is right, but it's not me. I didn't want to sin. That's why when a born-again believer sins, the first thing that happens to them in their mind is, what in the world did I do that for? What was I thinking? And they're sorry for the action that they took. That is a born-again believer in Christ. As an evangelist, I used to have hundreds and hundreds of people come to me and say, how do you know whether you're actually born again? And I said, well, a simple way to do it is, how do you feel when you sin? And well, I feel bad. 
Well, why would you feel bad? You must be born again. You must be. Otherwise, you wouldn't feel bad. So, we need to see how God sees us. The Bible says we are partakers of his divine nature. We have Christ living in us. But do we believe it? Do we believe it? The devil said to Adam, you will be like God. God Adam was already like God. He was already like God. And so the devil, he is the accuser of the brethren. And even when we do sin, notice what the Bible says. We know that no one who is born of God sins. But he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. When we read that text, what do we think? Well, we know that no one who is born of God sins. And I sin, so am I really born of God? And so sometimes we get very confused when, we read, when we're going through reading Scripture. The truth is here, you do not sin from the core of your being. You do not sin from your core. You and I are the same as Paul. We can't figure out why we do some of the things we do, but it's not, it's not me. It's not us. It's sin that dwells within us. Once we understand that, that it's not us, once we accept who we are, that we are God's child, once we understand that even if we do sin, the Bible says, that he will, not hold, he will not hold our sins against us. Here we have it. It's complete. However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he does not belong to him. Again, there's only two people. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you have been made alive. You are exactly who God wants you to be. You may not be acting like it all the time. That's true. None of us do. But we are exactly who God wants us to be. And so the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And what does Satan do to the believer today? The same thing he did to Adam. He accuses us of not being who God says we are. Now notice here. In Romans 8, 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are under obligation. Why are we under obligation? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that we are totally accepted by God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that right now you are totally accepted by God? In Hebrews 10, 14, it says, we were made perfect forever, forever. Now, do we feel that we are perfect? No, no, we don't. Do we act like we are perfect? No, no, we don't. But for by one offering, he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. 
And that's every one of us. We are perfect in God's eyes forever. Forever. But do we believe that? No. We say, well, no, I don't feel perfect. So we're going by our feelings. We're going by our emotions. And God wants us to go by facts. In Philippians 3.20, we are made citizens of heaven, the Bible tells us. For our citizenship is in heaven, which also, which, which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now notice this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize the thousands and millions of Christians today who feel, they feel, that at the end of time, they're going to be judged. When the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anybody who is in Christ Jesus, any born-again believer, passes through the judgment. The judgment is not for him. The judgment is for the wicked. He's already been judged. He's already been accepted. He's already been perfected. He's everything that God wants him to be. Is he struggling? Yes. Why is he struggling? Because of our flesh. And so God says to us, don't worry about that. Even when you do fall, even when you do slip, he says your sins will not be held against you. I mean, that ought to make every single one of us the happiest people on the face of this earth. That God's got us covered. We are complete in him. And we are under obligation, yes. Now, the problem is, is that when we act contrary to how we feel, then Satan, he'll accuse you in your mind of being a phony, a hypocrite. That's what he'll say to you. Now, God's definition of a hypocrite is pretending to be what you are not. That's God's definition. Satan's definition is different. His definition of a hypocrite is acting contrary to how you feel. Christians buy into this deception. They sit and wait, hoping that the Lord will somehow, somehow change their feelings. And so some Christians go from one seminar to another seminar to try to get those feelings to match how they act so they won't be a hypocrite. Now, we are to act out our faith. And if you're in Christ, you will. You will. Maybe not 100%. I'm not saying that. But you will act out it. You'll act out as if Christ was expressing his life through you because he is. Once you understand that when you have Christ dwelling in you, his desire is to live through you, to actually live through you. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone, anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. 
So there it is. The exchange life in Christ. God says, I'm accepted. God says that I'm blameless. God says I'm totally forgiven. God says that my sins are buried into the depths of the sea and he remembers them no more. They're all past. The Bible says that I am a new creation. Do I believe it? Do I actually believe I'm a new creation? The Bible says that I have a new heart. The Bible says that I am now a member of the family of God. We are everything God says that we are. We are. We are born and bred to be in heaven with him. And we will be. We have an obligation to say yes to Christ. Yes, we want you to live your life through us. That's the obligation we have. Is all Christ needs is our consent. That's the choice that we have. Adam had the choice in the Garden of Eden. We have a choice to allow Christ to live his life through us. And it's all we have to say, yes, and he'll do just that. Now, sanctification is a process of a lifetime. So we'll constantly grow in this, this earth of ours. We'll constantly be growing. But thank God, praise God, that he is in us, and his desire is simply to live his life through us. Our lives, who we were all once in Adam, have been exchanged to be in Christ. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the exchanged life in Christ. We thank you for the understanding that we have that we are new, brand new. And we're thankful that you dwell within us, that you've given us this new heart. We're thankful for all those things. And now we pray as we give you our consent for you to live your life through us. We're anxiously awaiting the wonderful experience, knowing that you are there, that you are in us, knowing that we are safe and secure in your arms. So bless each and every one of us, I pray. Meet the needs that we have. Each one of us are different. We have all different needs. But we're thankful that we worship the God who fulfills the needs that we have to live out the abundant life in Christ. Bless us to this end is my prayer, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.